Six o'clock, this is the SFM Market Update with Money Webb Hilton Tarrant with you on this Thursday evening. Tonight, economist Mike Schussler thinks something's up with StatSA's numbers. It counts nearly everything in the country, but the numbers aren't quite adding up, and there are more consequences than we think. He's up at a quarter past six. Simon Brown on whether to fix or link your loan interest rate to inflation in our My Money feature. Martin Feinstein, chief executive of Traction and founder of Proudly South African, in our upper echelon feature, he's got some interesting thoughts on whether we need a minister or department of small business. And Wayne McCurry of Momentum Wealth is with us to make sense of the markets on a day where the JSE ended ever so slightly negative. That and more to come. First, here's the news. SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Power demand is expected to outstrip supply and AMCU strike action plan delayed at Longman. Good evening with your news at 6 on SFM. I'm Sam Marshall. ESCOM has issued a special alert to electricity consumers saying this evening's power demand is expected to outstrip supply. The power utility says they will make use of emergency resources to make up the shortfall. This includes a 2,000 megawatts load reduction at BHP Billiton aluminium smelters as well as demand agreements with other large customers. The Association of Mine Workers and Construction Union has delayed plans to strike at platinum producer Longman. AMCO says the decision is pending government-led crisis talks. AMCO wants to be recognized as the majority union at Longman's platinum mines in the northwest. Deputy President Khalem Atlante is due to meet unions, mining bosses and government departments tomorrow to try and ease tensions on the mines. AMCO says in a statement it wants to give him an opportunity to achieve a breakthrough. The Marikana Commission of Inquiry has heard that Northwest Deputy Police Commissioner William Mpembe took the decision to disperse striking mine workers camped on a hill in Marikana on August 16th last year. This was part of a police plan to disperse armed protesters into smaller groups and circle and disarm them. 34 miners were shot and killed shortly thereafter. I took a decision, I briefed the provincial commissioner and after briefing her she agreed and it was also discussed in the special JOCOM meeting and all commanders agreed for dispersal. Let me see if I understand you. You're saying you took the decision that stage 3 be implemented, you briefed the provincial commissioner about it, special JOCOM happened, at the special JOCOM meeting she then instructed the chairperson to implement stage 3. Is, is that a fair assessment? Correct, Chairperson. Finance Minister Provin Gordon has reached an agreement with the Libyan government on the repatriation from South Africa of frozen Libyan funds and assets. According to a statement, the repatriation will be held in terms of the United Nations protocols. The announcement follows a meeting between Gordon and the minister in the office of the Libyan Prime Minister Osama al-Abid. South Africa will work closely with several bodies to coordinate the repatriation. The ANC Youth League in the Cape Metro has accepted the disbandment of its leadership by the, a national task team. The league's task team says it will announce a team to lead the organization in the province next week. The leadership in four other provinces suffered a similar fate. Former league chairperson in the Western Cape, Kaya Yosi. So it's one of the things that we, as disciplined members of the ANC Youth League, we understand. And we can't say wanted to lead forever. So we expect a decision. We'll work with the leadership of the ANC Youth League at a national level. And finally, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has opened an exhibition at a museum dedicated to the former Nazi death camp of Auschwitz in southern Poland. The BBC's Adam Easton reports. 
Mr. Netanyahu received a private tour of the exhibition before the opening ceremony got underway with a reading of the Kaddish, the Jewish prayer for the dead. The new modern exhibition, which was designed and built in one of Auschwitz's red brick prisoner blocks by Jerusalem's Yad Vashem Institute, in cooperation with the Auschwitz-Birkenau Museum, is both impressive and moving. Using photographs and video, it guides visitors through pre-war European Jewish life, through the rise of Nazi ideology, to the numerous extermination sites, of which Auschwitz is the most famous. Recapping the top story this hour, ESCOM has issued a special alert to electricity consumers saying this evening's power demand is expected to outstrip supply. With the news at 6 on SFM, I'm Sam Marshall. Your next news update is at 7. SAFM Market Update with MoneyWeb. Thanks, Sam. Almost exactly five minutes after six o'clock. Hilton Tarrant with you on the Market Update on this Thursday evening. Google it, Mfupi is back and she has your business news. <laughs> Thanks, Hilton. Well, we start off with international news and U.S. retail sales rose more than expected in the month of May. And first-time applicants for jobless benefits fell last week, suggesting the economy was squeezing out of a recent soft patch. And the World Bank has cut its outlook for global growth, saying the economy should expand more slowly this year than the last The organization has cited a deeper-than-expected recession in Europe and a recent slowdown in some emerging markets has influencing factors to this. In its twice-yearly Global Economics Prospects report, the bank has warned that large developing economies, which have driven global growth in recent years, will not experience the same boom as they did before the global financial crisis and will have to focus on structural reforms to keep expanding. Looking at the market performance now, the JSE All Share Index has closed off in positive territory, up by about a tenth of 1% at 39,812 points. The rand's at 9.90 to the US dollar, 15.54 to the pound, and 13.21 against the euro. Gold trading at $1,377 an ounce, a barrel of Brent crude oil at $104, and the platinum price at $1,448 an ounce. Thanks a lot, Gugu. Well, uh, John in Nasna, your question in on the SMS line 34701 using the keyword market, asking where is Gugu? There's your answer. She's, she's <laughs> back from uh, study leave and uh, off on leave. Off on leave. Again, next week. Oh, yes, well, I'll be yeah, broadcasting in another city, unfortunately. <laughs> well, it was a day where the JSE uh, actually ended up at the end, 39,811 points, up about uh, one-tenth of one percent. All sorts of chaos happening towards the end of trade uh, with uh, different numbers coming through from the JSE. We uh, originally saw a slip of about 34 points on the market and then some sort of uh, data file coming through that suggested that the uh, the JSE was actually down 70% on the day uh, and that filtering through to, to all the providers uh, in the country before that error was corrected. JSE up ever so slightly. It uh, started deep in negative territory, that obviously following uh, the uh, Japanese Nikkei uh, slipping 6% this morning ending definitively lower there. Uh, That filtered through two global markets. We saw the JSE kind of uh, recapturing that lost ground all day through the day, steadily uh, right through to the closing auction. Uh, On the currency front, 9.91, the dollar. That's 2% stronger um, against the the greenback there. 
2% stronger against the euro and uh, one and three quarters of a percent stronger against the pound. Uh, in terms of movers on the market, we uh, saw MTN, top value traded today, 3.5% higher. In terms of volume, first round leading the stakes there ever so slightly higher. We are seeing some selective buying in, in some of the out-of-favor sectors. Marion Roberts up 6% today. Uh, it seems as if perhaps there's uh, some news in the market there that perhaps the rest of the market is not uh, familiar with. Ten years ago, we hosted the inaugural Kimberley Process Summit. For the second time, South Africa is chair of this important international structure. On behalf of all South Africans, I am proud to welcome back members of the Kimberley Process to a renewal of our collective commitment to an equitably prosperous world, free of conflict downs. This message is brought to you by the South African government. Almost 10 minutes after 6 o'clock, 9 minutes uh, past 6, in fact. Uh, you can keep those questions and comments coming through on the SMS line 34701 using the keyword markets. That's 34701 with a keyword market. It'll cost you two rand per SMS. We'll get to those uh, before 6.30 this evening. Well, we all know that the job of Statistics South Africa is to count, and Stats SA counts practically everything in the country, either monthly, quarterly, or annually. Mike Schussler, Chief Economist at Economist.co.za, has some reservations about the National Statistics Service's continuous undercounting. And it's not just trivial or things without real consequence that he believes are being undercounted. There are questions over the population data from the most recent census, for example, and the measurement of inflation, which affects us all. Earlier, I spoke with Mike Schussler and asked him what main areas he's concerned about. Well, I think there are three main areas. The first is the census. There seems to be an ongoing debate uh, about that, not just from academics, but now from within SA. And uh, people are saying, you know, that the undercount is a lot bigger than is given through to us, and uh, not just uh, by the people uh, concerned uh, directly um, in, in, in the argument, but by others. And uh, one has to wonder when you've got so many asylum seekers in South Africa and when you've got, um, you know, other countries around us tending to have lost millions of their population, um, uh, not in their census, those people are very likely to be in South Africa. So one did expect South Africa to have maybe a population of 54, 55, 56 million. And then we came out with a population of 52 million. And now it seems to be a big fight there second part is the GDP. Not one year since 2000 to 2011 have the figures been adjusted downwards. They've always been adjusted upwards. Mm. And it seems to me if you want to attract investment, you have to make a big splash about your trade growth. And in South Africa, you know, the average GDP was 3% um, in those 11 years before adjustments. And after adjustments, 3.6%. And 3.6 is a heck of a lot better. It's 20% better than 3%. And it would have brought in more jobs and more people wanting to invest in a faster-growing economy. Mm. And success breeds success, and therefore we could have then had, say, a 4% growth, actually. And that's a concern, because if you keep on underestimating GDP, and it's very likely that we've seen the first quarter GDP shocked everyone, but that will also have been underestimated, because we've seen that, in most cases, the GDP gets adjusted upwards. Just recently, the fourth quarter just got adjusted upwards uh, of last year. Then my third point is that the inflation rate, just 
since 2008's adjustment, just hasn't kept up with the, the fall of the rand at all. And uh, also, it just seems very, very low. I can take the point that it is a weaker economy since 2008, but not on every sense, because we've also had much, much higher administrative prices. And, you know, electricity, um, petrol, school fees, water, medical aids, all those type of things have really rocketed up property taxes and have made life a lot more expensive to most South Africans. And we measure our higher administrative prices, but the rest of inflation seems to have dropped very, very low, which does not make sense in most cases. And if you look at a graph between the RAND and inflation, it had a very high correlation for many years. But since 2008, it no longer has that correlation, and it makes one wonder if they are not perhaps uh, measuring uh, inflation too little, because not only do we now measure less goods, um, about 800 less goods, we've gone from 1,200 to 400, they say we measure those less goods better. But we don't. I don't think so. And I think all those things just makes me wonder if we really are on top of the world uh, to be a few of our statistics. And these are things we need to talk about as a country. When one looks at a uh, an organization like StatsSA, whose job it is to, to count everything in the country, Statistically, you would imagine that for every undercount, there'd be an overcount at some point. Um, and, and what you're seeming to suggest is that we're just seeing continual undercounts of things. At present, yes. You know, inflation undercounting, um, the guys at asset managers, I'm not going to scream too much about that because it keeps the interest rates low. And then that means that the, because it's inverse, the capital they manage is in more and they get paid on the capital that they manage. So... They're not going to talk too much about inflation being too low, uh, but inflation too high does concern them. Um, but, you know, unions and the like should be very concerned, uh, me and you, if inflation is measured too low, because it means our job increases or our work increases based on inflation is in out of sync. And many bargaining councils, when in talks and negotiations uh, with unions and employers, both are stating that they don't believe the inflation rate. And that's happening more and more. So, yes, one wonders why there are so many undercounts. And then on the GDP side, you know, very simply put, um, one would expect that at least uh, one out of those 12 years or three out of the 12 years, uh, you know, all things being equal, we would have shifted the, the GDP maybe a bit lower. It just doesn't make sense. And then there's a bigger chance of our GDP now is undercounted because we haven't moved base years. And when we move base years, we also increase the weightings within sectors of those parts of the sectors that are growing faster. So the slower growing ones count for less and the faster growing counts for more. And that's surely going to adjust the 2008-2012 statistic upwards by 0.1 or 0.2 or 0.3 or 4%. So at the end of the day, it could actually be that the undercounting of GDP's growth is not a 20% uh, level, but maybe even at a 25% level, which would be really frightening if that were the case. 
Mark Sussler, the Chief Economist at www.economist.co.za. Uh, Mike's article is up on MoneyWeb. No consensus about the census. That's the headline. Uh, just below the top of the page. Uh, that's Mike Schussler's uh, full explanation. A number of charts in there as well, which make the picture a lot clearer, especially on the inflation front, where we've seen a big divergence um, in the measurement of inflation and as far as the inflation numbers that are reported versus the, the performance of the RAND. Invest in a Capitec Bank fixed-term savings account and you could earn up to 8.5% interest per year. Conditions apply. My Money, of course, brought to you by Capitec Bank. Well, when buying a large asset such as a house or a car on credit, consumers are faced with a rather important choice whether or not the interest rate is fixed or inflation-linked for the duration of the loan. It's a question that's sometimes a lot easier to answer than in others. Simon Brown is with Just One Lab. Simon, let's start with vehicle finance. It's the one that most listeners will be perhaps most familiar with. Fixed or inflation-linked, what's the difference? Good evening, Horton. Well, you're fixed. I think the, the key benefit to the fixed really is it's saying to you, this is what you will pay, and particularly with vehicle finance, which is typically a shorter duration, four, five, maybe six years. It's long for a vehicle, but it, it says to you, this is what you'll pay, whereas the other one is a variable, and, 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 and it'll move up and down, and that could potentially give you some, some shocks. It, it could benefit you going forward, but it could also give you some shocks. But you'll typically find those, the fixed starts off at a slightly higher rate. So it might look more expensive. It depends where rates are going down the line. If we use an example, at Prime, which is currently 8.5%, you could be offered an interest rate linked to that number, perhaps even that number. Your fixed rate is going to be higher. The fixed rate is going to be higher, and, and I think there's perhaps two benefits to fixed rates. One, if you think interest rates are going to increase. Now, that, that's a really tough call to make for the experts. It's probably an even tougher call to, to really get a sense of you know, from, from, from the average person in the street. Certainly in the short term, the next year or so, interest rates are unlikely to move much, but the next significant move will be upwards. And if you're, if you're locking in for a four-, five-, six-year loan, it does mean it could become more expensive down the line. I think perhaps the benefit of fixed is that if you're kind of like really pushing the, the, the edge of what you can afford, and you certainly shouldn't be, but let's say that you have gone down that road, mm. at least fixed says this is what it will cost you. It's not going to come in a year or two and suddenly we have what we saw in, in 2008 and we've seen it in other times in the recent past where interest rates increase markedly very swiftly and that can really put you under pressure if you're linked to that interest rate. With home loans, the decision slightly more complex. You're unlikely to get a fixed rate over 20 years. Yeah, you're typically going to get a two-year fixed rate, and then it, it really is a case, again, that rate will be higher than the, than the, the prevailing rate out there. We're not really seeing banks give a, a much below prime. In fact, they're giving typically about prime plus one. A fixed rate might then be prime plus one and a half, prime plus two, and again, for that shorter duration of time, I think in the current environment, you're probably better off going with the, with, with the variable rate because I don't see significant moves in our local interest rates in the next two years. And of course, important to mention that once you've made the decision and you've signed the contract with either your vehicle finance house or your, or your bank who's, who's lending you the money for your house, that's signed, it's done. It is done. And, and, and I mean, I, I, way back in 98, I signed up for a, a fixed, I think it was 26% back then, which just shows what interest rates have done. Uh, by the time I took possession of the house, the interest rates were significantly lower. 
I was locked in. I, I couldn't. Only way I could get out was to cancel the bond, get a new bond, and of course that's got massive costs uh, associated with it. So it, it's a tough decision for someone to make. And I, as I said, it's tough for economists to tell you where rates are going. I think it's probably tougher for for me, you, and the listeners out there. And I typically say to folks, you know, the point should be: if you're going to be buying an asset like that, don't buy it at the edge of what you can afford. Have that wiggle room in case mm-hmm. rates do go against you. And then probably go for the variable. And if it does increase a little bit, you've got that extra money that you'd sort of put aside just in case. Simon Brown is with Just One Lap. Very, very important advice there, very sage advice from Simon Brown, who uh, makes the point that once that document is signed with your vehicle finance house or with uh, your, your bond originator or with your bank, that, uh, that piece of paper is signed, that contract is signed. And uh, if you're stuck in a fixed rate uh, scenario, uh, you are likely to be, or you will be stuck with with uh, those repayments over the payment period, especially on a car. And we we have seen a number of cases where where listeners and readers write into MoneyWeb and have been stuck on the wrong side of an interest rate uh, decline, fixing their rate at uh, say 12, 13 percent a couple of years ago. Prime now eight and a half percent, and wondering how they can uh, get out of that. So, Prime 8.5%, your fixed rate will be higher, but as Simon says, it's unlikely that rates are going to increase, although stranger things have happened. Suddenly the, the bond market and the forward market uh, pricing in interest rate increases uh, later on this year, uh, out of nowhere, uh, literally o- over the past two weeks. A very, very tricky one indeed, and once that paper is signed again, that paper is signed. My Money, as always, brought to you by Capitec Bank. Invest in a Capitec Bank fixed-term savings account and you could earn up to 8.5% interest per year. Choose between single or multiple deposits. Terms range from 6 to 60 months. Rates are fixed and you'll never earn less than 5.35%. Visit www.capitecbank.co.za for more info or visit your nearest branch. Conditions apply. Capitec Bank. Simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. 21 and a half minutes after 6 o'clock. Well, our upper echelon guest this week, Martin Feinstein, is chief executive of Traction, also founder of Proudly South African, something that uh, pretty much everyone in this country knows about. He founded that back in uh, 2001, uh, just over 10 years ago. He's also been involved in a number of other projects, Enablus, uh, a funding incubator for small business, Shell Road to Fame. Uh, we're, all, we're all familiar with that. The SABC TV Talk magazine, I don't know if you can remember that. Those are all projects that Martin started, uh, the businesses that he started. The interview, very comprehensive, big focus on small business. Uh, that interview is available on our website, moneyweb.co.today, as well as on our apps for BlackBerry, as well as for uh, Android and iPhone and iPad. That's MoneyWeb Talk, MoneyWeb Now. We spoke about uh, the environment for small business and uh, the support available for entrepreneurs in South Africa at the moment. I asked Martin, are we doing enough? No. Um, Look, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. There's a lot of fragmentation. There are a lot of different entities and agencies operating. There's a lot of overlap. There, There isn't a coherent ecosystem. <clears throat> there's a big disconnect between the provision of financial and non-financial support services. Um, and um, there are too few people uh, playing a support role who have any real experience
experience-based understanding of what small business is all about. So, <clears throat> I mean, that's apart from, you know, the broader issues around things like the, the labor law, uh, the labor law framework and so on. Um, but uh, I, I think that there's hope in the sense that the National Devel Development Plan does recognize that there has to be some serious attention paid to the small business sector because 90% of the the jobs growth that's envisaged in the in the NDP is going to be coming from small businesses. Mm. So we can't just carry on um, uh, with, the, with the current situation where it's you know extraordinarily difficult for small businesses to secure uh, to access working capital and investment and uh, the support institutions, the non-financial support institutions are, are still just too bureaucratic and too unresponsive. It's all very well that the, that the NDP uh, places such a big focus on, on small businesses and on, on entrepreneurship. But what about today? What do, we, what do we do to start fixing the problems in, in the short term? Um, we have to build a culture of entrepreneurship and we have to understand that um, there are too many people walking around who are calling themselves entrepreneurs who are not really entrepreneurs. They are self-employed or running small survival businesses because they can't find a job. They're not really entrepreneurs. We've got to stop creating this myth that you can walk into an NYDA or a CEDA and get a consultant to write a business plan for you and get a tender and, and you know, voila, I, I'm an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, th those businesses are just not sustainable businesses. Um, we have to unlock uh, capital. Uh, we have to really completely relook at uh, microfinance and and the funding products that are needed between a uh, hundred thousand rand and three to four million rand, because the commercial, the commercial institutions are not, you know, they're not lending that money to small businesses. It's mm -hmm. virtually impossible to get working capital uh, on loan. Um, the risk tolerance is just ridiculously low. Um, that's absolutely critical. You know, small businesses need time to become profitable, and uh, they need access to affordable and accessible working capital. That, that's really, really important. Um, and we also have to start building entrepreneurship into our education system, mm. which is a big problem because the system at the moment is not able to teach just you know the basic academic subjects properly. So it's going to be difficult, but we, you know, we have to start producing matriculants and, and graduates who are able to, who understand entrepreneurship and are able to think entrepreneurially. Um, even if they don't start their own businesses, you know, entrepreneurial thinking is now something that is a, is a requirement for being in business, whether it's your own business or working in a business. Martin, this, this notion, and it's been mooted by, by a number of people and from a number of quarters, this idea of a minister of small business or a department of small business, is that something you subscribe to? I did, but I don't anymore. 
Uh, in fact, I wrote a piece calling for it uh, <clears throat> early last year, and then I had a complete I had a complete about turn, and I <laughs> and I really don't think it's a good idea. Mm. I, I don't think I don't think we need a whole new bureaucratic structure and a, a new ministry and a new department to do the relatively straightforward things that need to be done. I think they can be done within the current uh, government um, structures. Um, I think it's just going to add another layer of decision-making and bureaucracy um, and strategic delay to what what you know what is a, as you pointed out a you know a, a current and immediate challenge Martin Feinstein the chief executive of Traction also the founder of Proudly South African that full interview is available on our website moneyweb.co.today we don't need a minister of small business that's uh, the headline there uh, also a little bit uh, lower down the page uh, also on our apps moneyweb talk moneyweb now those available for ipad iphone as well as android devices and blackberry that full interview is available on those safm market update with moneyweb well, it was a day where the JSE opened sharply negative. We all woke up uh, to a shock from Japan. The Nikkei down 6%. Uh, it's officially entered yet another bear market, so that market uh, at 12,445, down 6%. And, uh, of course, the, the massive liquidity experiment underway in uh, in Japan, seemingly not uh, not paying any dividends, at least uh, not after today's move. JSE, as I said, opened sharply lower and have been recovering from that uh, move to just above the 39,000 mark right at the start all day. We ended at 39,732 points. Uh, rather, 39,812 points uh, on the Aussie, up one-tenth of one percent. Big movers on the day. We saw gold shares down three percent. Uh, we saw uh, the rest of the market up ever so slightly. Resources up a, th- a quarter of one percent. Financials slightly lower. Industrials slightly higher. Really a day where specific stocks uh, drove the market. We saw MTN, as mentioned earlier, up three and a half percent on the day. Truworths up 4.6 percent. ShopRite up almost six percent on the day. Marion Roberts up six uh, percent as well uh, we are seeing selective uh, buying of retailers Woolies rebounding as well up three percent uh, today on the downside uh, telcom down five percent it reports results tomorrow we'll have to see how that one plays out uh, harmony down four percent on the day anglo gold ashanti was down 3.6% and Sappy, the paper producer, down 3.74%. Well, that's a wrap for the uh, SAFM market update with MoneyWeb. Full transcripts online at www.moneyweb.co.today. We're back at 6 o'clock tomorrow at 6.30 now and time for game plan.